Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful people with the fire of your love, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, we're back, safe and sound, all 30 of us. It is good to be home. We had an amazing time, and I look forward to catching up with all of you really soon to share more about it. But today I want to offer my thanks. I'm so grateful to my colleagues, Whitney and Eric and Cheryl and Gary and Cliff and all of our staff and volunteers. Thank you for your prayers, your care, and your support while we were away. It is good to be back here at Trinity, the beloved place we call home. American storyteller Garrison Keeler often tells us tales from a place called Lake Wobegon, where all the women are strong, the men are good-looking, and the children are above average. Once he retold today's gospel with a twist. True stories from scripture. Once there was a woman who raised cows. She bought calves and fattened them up and sold them for beef. She did well, and every year she put, on another bi- she put another big bag of shekels away in the cellar. She had a daughter and a son. The son was reliable and a good worker and caused his mother no problems at all. And the daughter was a little wild. Mom, darling, what does that tattoo say? Daughter. It's Sanskrit. Never mind. Mom, I'm leaving next week for a distant country to get wasted for a while. What do you say? What do I say? I'm going to need about a million shekels. For what? If I could have it in fifties or hundreds, that'd be great. Or you could wire it to my bank. Darling, I, I, just, I just want it in cash. Plastic doesn't work so well in Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, East Sodom. I found a sublet. And so the prodigal daughter gathered her inheritance together and headed off down the road. True stories from Scripture. The rest of the story, well, we'll leave the tale from Lake Wobegon and go back to the Bible. No matter how ancient the story we can still relate to this parable. But I think we need to challenge ourselves to look at it in a new way. Check out the many levels of grace. Grace that only could possibly come from God. Time to explore. For centuries, the church has remembered this story as the parable of the prodigal son. I want to explore the possibility that the name might not be exactly correct. I'll let you decide. According to the Oxford Dictionary of English, the first definition for the word prodigal is one who spends money extravagantly or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. First definition, wastefully extravagant. Second definition, having or giving something on a lavish scale. Having or giving something on a lavish scale. 
Who in this story, in the biblical story, is wastefully extravagant? Yes, it's true the first son is, but who has had something or given something on a lavish scale? I don't know if the younger son fits into that category at all. But the father clearly does. Let's trace the father's actions through the parable. First, the second son asked the father for his share of his inheritance. In the ancient world, this would have meant that the father would have been forced to sell part of his ancestral land to give the son the funds that he demanded. This would have brought shame and disgrace upon the family as a whole. But after all, it's what the second son wanted. So the father decides to give him the inheritance and bring forth societal shame upon his family. Why? Because he is reckless in his love for his child. Fast forward. The second son realizes that after years of spending through his inheritance, he's completely failed. He's done everything wrong. And now he's feeding pigs the most shameful occupation any Jewish person could have ever undertaken. And so the son realizes he could go back to his family, maybe as a hired hand. So he goes back home. While the son is still really far off, the father spots him at a distance. We're not told how far. But the point is, is that the father's been looking for his son for years. And he sees him a long way off. At this point, the father literally runs to greet his son. Although this would have been considered completely unseemly at its time for grown men to run in this culture. Boys ran, women ran, but men and especially landowners did not. The father, with reckless abandon, runs to meet up with his son. The original Greek actually tells us that the father doesn't even stop until literally the father falls upon the neck of his son to embrace him. Immediately, the father calls the servants, quickly, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one. Actually, literally, the first one, the one belonging to the father, and put it on his son. He also puts a ring on his finger to show the newly found son honor. But even more importantly, he puts sandals on his feet, giving his son ultimate freedom to come and go as he pleases. This father will stop at nothing to see his son live into the fullness of the person he was created to be. There's a ridiculous lavishness in this type of behavior toward the son that is reckless, extravagant, and most definitely prodigal. But there's one more time in the story when the father is even just as generous and loving. This time it's not towards that second son who ran away, but instead the first son who stayed and played by all the rules. 
This son is angry. He's mad. He's followed all the rules and he's getting a raw deal. He refuses to enter the party. And when the father hears about this, the father leaves the party, removes himself from the feast that he is hosting. Never mind that the host should be at the party, this father is determined to draw in and reconcile with his son. But instead of feeling insulted or even enraged, this father literally pleads with his firstborn to return because all that is mine is yours. Even when the firstborn is not acting like a respectable member of the family, the father once again pours out his love upon his son and offers his firstborn everything. The father is indeed prodigal. Even when his sons don't respond, this father is reckless, selling ancestral land, killing the fatted calf, leaving the party he's hosting to offer love and reconciliation with his children, to take care of his own, to love in such an extravagant way without limit that pushes the possibilities of how humans can really love one another. Jesus does the same for us. In showing us this parable, we go deeper into our relationship with God. We see how much God can really do and to what extent forgiveness is absolutely possible. Jesus is building upon a lesson that he taught earlier, another parable. The story of a master of a house that that had a great banquet, but nobody came. He's building on this story and again saying just as the master of the house from the previous parable orders his servants to search, to search the highways and byways for guests. So God is calling us, calling us into a relationship that is without end, that is unseverable, into a relationship that relies on God to restore us relies on God to restore us to the fullness we're created to be, into a relationship of wholeness. For a God who will welcome us home all the time, not just when we've been good, but in all moments of our lives, because God truly loves us that much. And in our busy lives, even when we have the faintest desire to look for God because we're busy. God is pulling out all the stops and running to meet us on our own roads of life. We're that important to God. And Jesus teaches us today how to look, how to look for ways to re-enter the mystery of God and reconnect with our creator. Today's parable reminds us how God is on top of the hill, searching just like the father in this story, for us, year after year, and longing down to run down the road to meet us as well, even if we're a long way off. And if there's one absolute truth to this story, with God, yes, you can go home again, always, at any time.
So what might we do with all of this? Well, Desmond Tutu has an idea. He wrote in a book that he imagines God saying this. I have a dream. Please help me realize it. It is a dream of a world whose ugliness and squalor and poverty, its war and hostility, its greed and harsh competitiveness, its alienation and disharmony are changed into their glorious counterparts where there will be more laughter, joy, and peace where there will be justice and goodness and compassion and love and caring and sharing. I have a dream that swords will be beaten into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, that my children will know, that my children will know that they are members of one family, the human family, God's family, my family. Recklessly taking a world full of squalor and disharmony and instead lavishly and generously giving us grace and restoration, faith, hope, and love. How prodigal of God to behave in such a way. True stories from scripture. Grace, it's real. Prodigals welcomed, honor upheld, dignity restored. Freedom of movement established. And you can really go home again. Go figure. It's all there in the Bible. For me, for you. Beloved brothers and sisters, today we celebrate. Welcome home. <laughs>